today we have for the whole lot of comedy what it takes series is dave ritchie and dave is a specialist in improvisation dave so how do you um as, as your one of your many skills is improvisation so what does it take to become an improviser what a good question what does it take um and I think uh, I'd like to avoid a trite answer, but really the ability to listen. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, and, and would you say to listen and to take offers and to um, literally just say yes? Uh, yeah, uh, those, those are sort of part of the rules, if you like. Um, when I'm doing a workshop, we do a sort of circle time at the beginning and ask people how they feel about improvisation. And uh, invariably, almost everybody says, I'm terrified of it. And I say, well, why? And they say, because I don't know what I'm going to say. And as I say, I try to avoid trite answers, but um, my response to that is generally, have you ever had a conversation? And of course, everybody says, well, yes. I said, well, there you go, because that wasn't pre-written. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't pre-planned. The conversation is entirely improvised. And it's generally because you're listening to what the other person is saying and you're responding to that. And in certainly in, this, in the type of improvisation I do, that's basically what it's about. You, you're, you're not trying to lead anything. You're literally listening to what the other person says and adding something to it and responding. Do you, do you find um, when you're setting scenes, for example, do you, do you like let's say, an audience to actually come out with the ideas? Or do you literally, you're able to start without the idea? Or do you ask for, let's say, um, uh, what type of job am I? Where, where am I located? Well, with the shows that we do, uh, my colleagues and I, um, they tend to be comedy shows, sort of very similar to Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, that kind of format. And when you, so it is good to ask the audience. It's nice when the audience give you something, especially if it's something a little bit unusual, but it also means the audience are invested with what you're doing and they're engaged with it. And also it shows the audience that you can't possibly have made it up uh, in advance. But there is also the technique where you do it completely dry, where you, you have nothing. There's a particular um, exercise called fishing. And it's basically the idea is you're two people just sitting there and you've got nothing, absolutely nothing. And you still just start talking about the weather or anything banal. And eventually, at some point, you will hit a thread. And the idea is, and this is where it's good rehearsal exercise, particularly, the idea is to, to, to learn to pick up on where the thread is from the other person. And then you run with it. And then you do the, the adding. And there's a kind of, I don't know, uh, there's a sort of set of rules um, that if everybody who is performing together knows the rules, it's okay to break them. But if everybody's starting point is knowing those rules, and once you learn the rules, I, I, I probably get shot down in flames by fellow improvisers, but it becomes remarkably easy. I've been told off for saying this before. People <laughs> say, don't tell them the secret. Um, but it's actually... A remarkably easy thing because it's something that everybody can do to a certain extent and it's built into us as human beings the, the, it, because it basically is communication and we've got so bogged down in theatre being about learning lines and, and telling the story which is, is, is great 
that we now seem to have this ingrained fear of improvisation. And improvisation is basically communication, which we do naturally. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find when you're um, being do you are you in a character when you improvise, or is it really it's blank mind, clear, and then go? Um, again, one of those answers, it could be either. Uh, sometimes you're given a character, like you say, uh, you know, you ask uh, the audience and they say, you're a car mechanic. So you play the part of a car mechanic and you're sort of thinking the things a car mechanic would think. Uh, that, so that dictates a lot of what you do. Or sometimes you are just completely blank. And and that's where the beauty comes. I, I mean, I always say this and I probably say, I think I said it to you when I spoke to you before, that um, if you go on, the, the adage I work with, if you go on stage to make yourself look good and everybody else does that, nothing happens. But if you go on stage to make the other person look good and they do that as well, that becomes the magic of theatre. Mm-hmm. And it really comes across, it shows itself in improvisation. So if you go on there to think, right, I, I've got to be clever, I've got to be witty, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. It just won't work so well, mm-hmm. it's harder anyway. Um, and it's, it's less enjoyable for the audience. If you go on stage and think, right, what can I bring out of... Say, if you and I were to do a scene, a two-hander, mm-hmm. you know, go on and think, right, what can I do to give Graham some absolutely killer lines? How can I set up some good lines for him? And if you're doing the same as well, then suddenly, you know, you get this kind of synergenic thing, you know, the, it's greater than the sum of its parts and it's wonderful and it's exciting and the audience love it. And you come off stage thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> I would never have thought of that. It, it is. It's. It's the actual. Um, it's. The, it's really the saying, isn't it? Prepare to fail, and Absolutely. and don't and don't be worried about it. Actually, embrace the failure, and that fear factor of you're going to lose control here, mm-hmm. and you have to go with the flow. And it sounds. I mean, to me, it sounds a lot easier when you, when you're saying it. But how many years has it taken for you to evolve to get that level of competency? In improvisation? Ooh, interesting. Um, I think what I would say is it, what I learned was to unlearn. So uh, all the things that, you know, you walk, you walk onto a stage and you have, you feel the audience have expectations. They want me to be witty. They want me to be clever. They want me to think of something that they haven't thought of. And when you put that pressure on yourself, you seize up. You know, you genuinely just the brain says, "Oh, this is you know can't cope with this. Not even this. It's uh, it's ridiculous." Um, and you say about learning to fail. Uh, that is a, an incredibly powerful tool to do in the rehearsal situation. Is learn to fail because if you know, if you and I would well, we are talking now. Uh, we're having a conversation. We're improvising. If I'm worried, if I fail, it's because. I can't think of anything to say. Now, if I suddenly dry up and can't think of anything to say, it really doesn't matter because mm. I will think of something to say. Mm-hmm. And the audience forget that moment when you couldn't think of something to say. So it's um, it's kind of unlearning fear, I think, yeah. is how I'd put it. Rather than learning how to do it, it's unlearning the reasons why you feel you can't do it. Um, do you think that having an acting background helps or do you think it is really something where if you can stand, as you're saying, have a conversation, then it's like you're down the pub. Let's say, it, well, actually, using the pub, you're not really allowed to go down the pub anymore. 
uh, <laughs> you can't just go down the pub and have a few pints. But let's say in the old days when we could go down and have the pub and have a few pints and sit around a table and humour is generated out of nothing. Yeah. And, and it's just embracing the humour out of nothing. And, and as we said, the rules are, let's say when we're sitting around the pub table, that everyone's going to add to the conversation that just happened on the next person, whether they're going to exaggerate or whether they're going to, you know, say, well, I, uh, or what's worse than it's they're going to embrace it. But in, in those those terms, when you're on stage and you're there with an audience in, in front of you. And so how many years has it taken you to get from doing improvisation from, let's say, classes and when you were, you know, acting school to competently improvise on stage? Uh, that's a, a rather difficult question in a way, because I think in my case, uh, I'd been doing scripted theatre and comedy for, for, for years and then went into improvisation after several years of, of doing that and just found it slotted slotted in. I didn't really feel I needed to... I mean, you know, one is always learning, one is always getting better and developing, but I found it a sort of comfortable thing to slip into. And I think, you know, I think what you're asking is how long does it take somebody to get to yes. a level where they feel like that? Um, I think I probably would have got that level in the first place had I done it earlier on. I'm, I, I do run workshops on this and I'm a great believer in anybody can do it. And one of the things I love is we start a workshop at half nine in the morning and at five o'clock, the people that said, I can't do this, no way can I improvise. They're running, running away with scenes wonderfully and excitingly in just a few hours. So the answer to your question, in my opinion, is it's, it takes a few hours. And and at the opposite, at the end of the interview, end of the conversation, we'll actually find out more about where we can get on those workshops from you, Dave, and where we can also see you live. Um, so, I mean, I've seen you in Murder Mysteries, and I must admit, they are hilarious scenes, and the way you set the scene up on for the for the murder mystery. Um, now, do you do that? And obviously you do whose line is it anyway along, along those lines. If you were going to do, let's say, a, a murder mystery improvisation, and that would be, would you start off with at least a little bit of a plot to introduce the audience, or is it straight in to what you're doing on stage? Oh, um, well, the ones we do are, uh, the, the plot is, is well-defined, and you learn the plot, and you, you learn where your moments are that you're your cues basically so that the other mm -hmm. people know on um, he's going to say that he's going to make this point not necessarily say that line but make this point then i make that point how you make it is in, can be improvised and all the stuff that goes on in between as long as those points get picked up <laughs> um and it's so you know if you know the story and you stick to the story uh, it, it, it's it, it, it sort of sort of does it itself, really, in a way. I think. Mm. Oh um, no! I've, 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 having having seen you quite a few times do this, I can say it's palm of hand stuff. It's literally it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant um, when when you do this live, and oh, um, and uh, you know it's, it's it's definitely worth watching. Now, in in improvisation, do you prefer the short form or the longer form? And what um, really and what really is a short form? and a long form? Personally, I like 
I quite like short form um, for an audience because it's pure entertainment, if you like, and long form in a workshopping session. So there's nothing more enjoyable than when there's a group of you and you just say, right, it's 12 o'clock, let's kick something off and we'll end at one. Mm-hmm. And nobody, you know, you've got an hour of just improvising together. I mean, that's not something really an audience necessarily <laughs> would find that entertaining a lot of the time because there's a lot of dead space in that hour. But um, it, it, it's it, it's 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 enjoyable to do. It's very exhilarating to do. I mean, I, I remember once setting up a, a work a, a thing with them. Um, some teenagers actually and we'd done a lot all you know we'd gone through the basics the rules and things and then I just said right here's an empty hall there are some chairs and tables feel free to use them but just create and they said well what you know where where are we who are we because normally you have that kind of thing to start with you know are we in a library are we uh, football players you know what's the deal I said nothing I don't have no idea just there's a space there's a couple of hours create and they just sat there in silence for a moment. And then one of them did the most brilliant thing. She got up, she walked over to the table, pulled a chair up, sat on the chair and put her head and her hands on the table. Oh, wow. And that gave the others so much because it was a few seconds later that somebody else got up and went over and just said, are you OK? And that's it. You know, the next few hours just went with this huge story, which touched on all sorts of you know, it wasn't a comedy in any way, and it touched on all sorts of issues that teenagers face. And all that just came out of this one moment. And I think that's the secret. You know, I mentioned rules. Um, there are sort of basic rules. And if you if, if you stick to them, um, it works. Everybody knows them. But sometimes the best gags in comedy come out of... Uh, so I once saw Paul Merton live, and he was doing one of these games where you absolutely have to stick to the, the main rule, which is do not block. Mm-hmm. And blocking is where you say no, effectively. And he, there was a the question that was asked him, he just broke all the rules, leapt in ahead of everybody else and just said no. He actually said no, used the word no. It was hilarious. It couldn't have been funnier. So the rules are there to be broken. But if you all know the rules, then you get to the point where when somebody does break it, if they do, it's comedy gold. And I mentioned that, um, you know, blocking, which is, the, for example, if, um, you know, if you say to me, oh, look, Dave, there's an, uh, an aeroplane, and we open the scene with that, and I say, that's not an aeroplane, it's a bowl of porridge, then I've killed the scene. Mm-hmm. I've blocked it by negating what you laid out. So what I have to do is accept whatever you laid out, so you, you, you've started it off, you've said that's an aeroplane. I must accept that's an aeroplane. We can go all over the place with it, <laughs> but it doesn't work if I say, no, it's not. So that then brings, so that's the accepting principle. Then comes in the yes and principle. And that really is the absolute bedrock of good improvisation. Yes and. Mm. It was, the person actually is credited with, with coming up with the yes and principle was uh, Roddy Maud Roxby uh, in the 1960s when he was working with Keith Johnston. And uh, I've actually been, you know, very, very honoured that I've uh, trained quite a bit under Roddy Maud Roxby. And uh, he's credited with that, with that concept. And he's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's brilliant. And the yes and principle is that you agree with what's been given 
and you add something to it. So you've said, there's an aeroplane. I say, yes, it is an aeroplane and it's coming into land. Mm -hmm. So you then take that and you so you, we've now got an aeroplane that's coming into land and you say, you accept that it's coming into land and you can say, yes, and there's a fire engine on the runway in its way. I hope it gets out of it. And we just build up on that. So we're mm -hmm. always accepting and adding. And if you keep doing that, magic happens and you can't stop it. And so yeah. well, the fear of improvisation and the thing, but where do we go? It, it happens and it will happen. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, what, one thing I've found with improvisation is not to be funny. Yeah. And, and it's, it's terrible because you can see such a cheap gag can make everyone laugh. And in your head, you've then taken the scene <laughs> away on your cheap gag in your head because you've stolen the direction. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's um, <laughs> my, my Robbie, <laughs> it's one of those things where I've now stopped it at improvisation. As soon as I, I deliberately, my face will not smile. Therefore, I know I'm go with the scene. Now, how would you, what would you say to the cheat gag? Do you think it's worth going for a cheat gag or just saying no? Um, it's something called, it's a sort of chivalrous, really. But one of the hardest things is, being able to let go is being able to say no. And, you know, I mean, I've cried myself to sleep after shows where I've thought that would have been such a good gag, but it would have ruined the scene. And you yeah. just had to say, no, just don't do it. But then occasionally it's such a good gag that it might stop the scene and it's worth it. You know, the mm -hmm. audience will love that moment. Often, especially, funnily enough, if the audience has seen it coming. If, the, if it's a gag that you think, well, it's obvious to me, it's probably obvious to the audience, if you can then throw a little twist, deliver the gag the ah. audience are waiting for with a little twist that they didn't quite see, um, that justifies that in a way. But no, it is one of the hardest things. Uh, an exercise I do with, with groups is um, imaginary tug of war. We're looking at realism because realism being very important. Mm -hmm. So I split them into two teams and they face like they're in a tug of war into two uh, columns, two rows. And we imagine there's a, a rope next to them and I show them how the diameter of the rope and they have to be as accurate as possible when it comes to picking it up. And then they start the game of tug of war. And sometimes it can go on for ages and they're, you know, and you can see the veins popping and the sweat pouring and the muscles shaking and they're going on for ages. But eventually, one team wins. Eventually that imaginary rope goes that way. And it's because the two people at the front, uh, I'm giving away the secret here because I don't tell them this beforehand. The idea is that they've <laughs> working out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, the two it's okay, don't the give the secret away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the ones making the decision. Yeah. And one of them has to decide to, in this completely imaginary mind situation, one of them has to decide to throw the game, um, to lose, to move forwards, and everybody behind them follows suit. Oh. So the entire team goes forwards, game over, that team's won. But the team that fell forwards are the team that won, the, not the game, but the improvisation. Mm -hmm. uh, so they won the scene because, yes. uh, and it's the hardest, one of the hardest things in the world because we're, it's ingrained in us all to want to win at everything we do. And so when you're actually in, a, in a, an improvised scene, to make that decision, to lose the game of tug of war when that's all that matters in that moment is that is making that game 
to make the decision that you're going to be the one that loses is very, very hard, but it makes the scene work as a piece of theatre. Mm-hmm. And so throughout improvisation, as you say, when you've got a good gag and you think, oh, this is, this is gold, is it? <laughs> sometimes it is. And sometimes what's real gold is when you can see a gag coming that the other person can deliver the punchline. Mm-hmm. And if you can set that up for them, that's kind of like how it works in, in its most pure form. Um, that doesn't mean to say you can't have your own gags, but if everybody's trying to help each other, that's when the gags become really quite beautiful, really. You, do you find that improvisation helps in both acting and comedy? from create, understanding emotion and persona and status. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the, the S word there, you dropped the S bomb, status, um, which is very much at the core of improvisation. That's what brings it alive. Um, if you're aware of the, the, the relative status of everybody at any given moment. Um, I found myself actually teaching um, drama in a school and, uh, and realised that um, the status in the classroom was a very dynamic thing um, that fed into improvisational status. So I decided one day a little experiment and I dropped my status in the class. I set them up some drama exercises and I dropped my status deliberately as teacher to see what would happen. Uh, so I did all the, all the things, you know, in the book that you do to, to lower your status. And without them realising it, subconsciously, sort of Lord of the Flies happened and, and they started to gain. Somebody went over to my phone and picked it up. They would never have done that normally. Mm-hmm. And then this girl came over to me and just hit me on the shoulder, pointed at her wrist and pointed up at the clock and said, it's break time. You know, terribly rude. <laughs> and she would never, that person would never have done that normally because I'd lowered my status and they'd instinctively filled that gap and taken the higher status over me. Mm-hmm. So being aware of that, that we do that, you know, in improvisation, I would say that's one of the, one of the not trickiest, but most important disciplines is to be aware of the status at any given moment and still be able to serve the scene. So you're kind of directing, you're watching, oh, so-and-so's there, so-and-so's there, this is what's happening. This has just happened, Us, the status, the relative statuses of everybody has changed. Uh, to be able to do that from a, an outside eye, like a director would look at that, and be in the scene as well, that's possibly mm-hmm. where a lot of um, time and work is, is valuably, uh, valuably spent. And, and also it opens people up. Um, mm. This actually, you know, saying, okay, I'm, I'm, not, the te- I'm not the teacher today, I'm with you. And giving others the opportunity to, as you said, to rise and but feel comfortable in the moment. And I, I, yeah. I think that do you think that that would be important to be comfortable in the moment, so that when when you are improvise, improvising, it's a it's a comfort factor that the it's not impossible. Yes, yes, I think that's a yeah. I would I would agree with that completely. It's. Um, it, I'm not quite sure how to word this. It, uh, what we're looking for is um, where you're not trying to trying to improvise. So as I said earlier, you know, it's kind of unlearning 
stuff and so the more aware you are of the other person really is is where it, it comes in um, there's an interesting thing somebody once asked me well no, i get asked this a lot actually what do you do about nerves um you know before you go on stage in a play and you know one of the techniques which is very much based on improvisation is don't be aware don't be thinking about how your performance is going think about how the other person's performance is going so if I'm focused, you know, if you and I again are doing a, a scene, maybe a dramatic scene, scripted, not improvised, if I'm aware of how you're doing and how I can help, and oh, now that was a lovely bit that uh, that Graham just did. Then, um, if I if I if I now do this line in a slightly different way, it'll give him something to to go even higher on. Mm-hmm. So if I'm aware of it, that gets rid of my nerves. <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Yes, um, and it's it really does come back to the same sort of thing: being more aware of the other person. And do you, do you, sorry, to, Dave. Do you, do you find that? Um, sorry to interrupt. Do you find that it's improvisation could be another form of clowning? Um, yeah, there's there's a, a discipline called fooling, which is uh, I'm sort of got to be careful treading on dangerous ground with that because um, it's a very very beautiful specialized discipline if you like but it's also got different interpretations from different people so uh, clowning very much is a part of the philosophy behind fooling but it's not necessarily about clowning if that makes sense and mm-hmm. certainly I mean the stuff I've done in the past as um as a student uh, on and on this on fooling uh improvisation is very much at the basis of it um and that's where you really have nothing Sometimes, you know, the, the ultimate in some of the things I was privileged to be doing, uh, you know, at the end of a, of a course, you they each give a performance of X number of, and you've got nothing. You've just got an audience and absolutely nothing. You just go on. And we feel we've got to be clever. We feel we've got to entertain the audience. And that becomes the thing that we sort of unlearn that sense of, panic and uh, I mean I, I'll quote an example if you don't mind um, we did this once and this woman was absolutely terrified when it came to her turn and she took to the stage and she just sat there cross-legged and looked about two feet in front of her at the stage and the rest of us sat there and at one point she sort of sat up ever so slightly and then went back to the hunch position and looked back against at the floor and when she did that the entire audience went oh took a big deep breath and, and then at the end of it, five minutes. Now you might just imagine motionless person, five minutes. That's a long time. And we, it was one of the most powerful bits of theater I've ever seen, you know, standing ovation, everybody was clapping and cheering. And when asked afterwards, she was going, so, you know, what, what were you actually attempting? She was uh, terrified. I didn't, couldn't think of anything. So she was actually just sitting there being terrified, but we, the audience, um, because she was true to that, moment if you like we the audience filled in all the gaps so she was like the the builder we did the interior decorating ourselves <laughs> if that makes and, sense and, and and that really is 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 the key isn't it to be true to the moment yes yes and, and um uh, and if if you're not truthful in that moment and again if you let the voices in your head take over with the many different options and paths that you can go down it's yeah. Scene's gone, isn't it? Because you've just lost the split second or with, with the pause. 
Absolutely. And I'll just go back to the to the to the main thing. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head because you do absolutely think here are all the options. Which one do I take? Trust the other person because mm -hmm. they've fed it to you. They've they've shown. You. I mean, you know, for example, it's um, it's another one of the, the sort of rules, if you like, not necessarily rules, but something that is very valuable. And that's endowment. So let's just take it again. You and I are on a stage. We've got nothing. You're on the stage and I come up to you and I say, um, hello. Well, that doesn't give you that much to do, but you, you, hello, the obvious. And then I say, um, what, are you, what are you doing? So what I've just done there is given you all the onus on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. You now have to come up with something. And the human brain has this lovely habit of going, oh, I don't know. Uh, right, nope, not interested, shut down. <laughs> and suddenly you can't think of a single thing you know if I say what are you doing I don't know I don't know what I'm doing I can't think of anything but if I give you something to work with so I mean hypothetically if I come up to you and say I don't know um good morning vicar um nice clown outfit um yeah. I noticed you've got a dead goose between your feet you know you now have a lot of options you don't have to incorporate them all so all those options are there but I've given you several things so you can just run with the fact that you're a vicar in a clown outfit or just a vicar or the fact that it's it's good morning vicar it hints that's outdoors because you're outdoors in a, mm -hmm. with a dead goose you know uh, so you could just say yes it's a lovely morning and ignore all the stuff i've given you but it gives you an opportunity you know chances are you'll pick up on the idea of the goose and, and you and you'll find a reason for having a dead goose between your feet <laughs> <laughs> i actually think just doing the good morning and with a couple of pauses in between the good morning and um looking away i think that i'll probably burst out with laughter just on that alone <laughs> well um oh i shouldn't say this but uh sometimes when there's a really good gag when the other person does a good gag if the audience don't immediately get it just <laughs> drop out a character slightly and laugh you know and that sets them up you know, it's, <laughs> so. no, it's, it's, it is also isn't it it's it's to control and and what's wrong with emotion isn't it if you're happy and something's good it why not smile yeah. you know why not raise your eyebrows and so the audience can see that you are actually having a good time as well it's not a it's not just a um a blank face i i can't remember the the squashish guy's name on whose line is it anyway? From the original to the new to the the American USA, um, Colin. Colin Mockery. Uh, yes, Colin Mockery. Canadian, I think, isn't he? Oh, he's Canadian. Oh, I, oh so. I thought he was Scottish. Oh, Maybe wrong. I mean, yeah, and um, and but he uses expressions on his face, you know, before he gets to somewhere. But it may be that we're used to that. But his face tells the story before he's does his little bits of a an, an, an act out um now do you do you find do you think with improvisation it's like um there's a, a someone i've done a, a, some improvisation course with you've got to it must come from the heart at the end of the day and literally you want everyone else to be dying of laughter inside rather than the sort of a false facade um <laughs> or is that a bit too complex no i've often wondered how, how well to describe a particular thing and you've just absolutely put that beautifully um and the, the, what i would say is uh 
I mean, we do have this tendency. You go on stage and you, I've got to be clear. And the audience need to, I need to build the audience up to a laughter. The reality is when you go on stage, the audience want you to do well. They want this to be good. So you go on stage with 10 out of 10. The secret is to go back off stage and still have 10 out of 10, not have lost anything. So often a mistake is we go on to think we've got to build something, whereas often it's just a case of not destroying it, which means that um, if everything we do comes from the heart, then it's genuine. And if if it's useless, if it doesn't matter, but the audience will always see through if you're trying to be clever and you don't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned to you before um, my proudest moments in comedy improvisation have been when I've come out with something that I just wouldn't have, I, I couldn't have written if I'd tried. Um, and it comes from not trying to think just literally just the next obvious thing. And often the most obvious thing is the funniest thing mm-hmm. if it comes from the heart. So absolutely. Uh and, yeah, and leave your head behind. Leave your head behind. I think that's, that, as you said, that's that's the secret, isn't it? Leave your head behind. At the um... to a certain extent, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you need to keep a bit of it there, otherwise, you you know, you forget how to walk on or something. <laughs> you, you or, or, to... Unless you're like Bill Pertwee and you've got multiple heads available. Yes, yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> and true. Um, so, so, Dave, where can we actually find out more about you and? any of your courses that you give and also where can we see you live? Um, my, my website is davidritchie.co.uk. Yeah. Uh, David Ritchie being one word and it's R-I-C-H-E-Y. Uh, and that's at the moment, there's not much there because there's not much going, been going on in the last 18 months, yeah. but it's beginning to pick up again now. So that's where information is to be available yeah and i and i can definitely recommend to everyone to see dave um in in whatever capacity he's doing whether it's acting comedy improvising music musical comedy writing <laughs> whatever i can definitely say if you see the name dave Ritchie there you must go and see it oh shucks <laughs> <laughs> oh oh what lovely Oh, we should do this more often, Graham. <laughs> I, I think so. I, 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 thank I'm, you. I'm too good at this. <laughs> Dave, thank you, thank you very much. much. And I will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to see you again. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been a podcast recording for a whole lot of comedy.